Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Joel Fine. Joel is based in Austin, Texas, and is a general partner in 1200 Doors. That includes some ground up development projects and a limited partner in 17,000 doors across 15 states. That's a lot of doors. Prior to diving into real estate, Joel was in high tech as a business owner, entrepreneur, executive program manager, and engineer. Joel, welcome to the show. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate it. So yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a general partner. I'm a sponsor on a number of deals. I do a mixture of value-add multifamily as well as development projects. I've been doing this for about three, four years full-time. Before that, it was a part-time gig for me while I was working in high-tech. Long back, I was trained as an engineer, worked that way for a long time, but shifted over time into real estate. And once I moved full-time into real estate, I really haven't looked back. So as you said in the intro, I'm in a bunch of deals on the value-add multifamily side, uh, mostly in Austin, but also a few in Houston. And then my ground up development deals are also mostly in Austin, but I've got one uh, brewing in Waco, about an hour and a half north of Austin. You're doing value add and development. Some people strictly, you know, value add, some people strictly development. Kind of talk about where your head is on that and, and where do you see the most value creation? Yeah, well, I like being involved in both. Just for one, for just for the variety's sake, you know, it brings me a lot more interesting challenges, you know, the very different business models, but also it's a nice way to diversify in my portfolio and my business practices. So when value add multifamily is struggling, maybe development's doing a little bit better and vice versa. And we have seen some of that in the last, say, six to nine months as interest rates have skyrocketed. A lot of the value add multifamily deals that I'm in. Um, you know, are kind of struggling on the cash flow side because they've got variable rate mortgages. Uh, but on the development side, you know, there's still a lot of activity. There's still a lot of potential, you know, so it really diversifies and mitigates the risk to be involved in both. Uh, and I also get to partner up with different people on each side. It's a big jump value add. I feel like, you know, for a baseball reference, you're just hitting it up the middle. You know, it's it's pretty easy to manage for the most part. Development, there's a lot more moving pieces and a lot more things can go wrong. How did you get comfortable moving into that development space? For me, it was all about the partnerships. I found some great partners who have been involved in development for a long time. In fact, multi-generational 
my partner's grandfather, I think, was one of the original developers of Kerrville, Texas, ever since his grandfather and then his dad before him. And, and now my partner has been doing development. They've evolved their business strategy over time. Initially, they were mostly in just the entitlement phase, meaning they'd take a, a very large piece of land, let's say 100 acres, and carve it up into 10-acre ranchettes or five-acre homestead sites, but not build anything physically. Maybe, maybe put in roads and utilities, but no sticks and bricks. Re-entitle it, replat the land, and then sell off the land to builders or, or to individual owners who wanted to put something up on the land. And that was the end of their involvement. Over time, as we've partnered up and as we've found new projects to do together, we've gone a little further on the value chain, meaning we're we're now participating in projects where we're actually going to be doing the build itself, not just the entitlement. But that's the origin. That how I got into it was I found partners who had the experience and who could bring me into the business and, and help me learn. Absolutely. I think whenever you're going into a new project, we're in the middle of an adaptive reuse garden office space to multifamily. We're getting 44 units at the existing building, adding 60 new units. We added a partner that had that building experience. Just We just didn't have that experience. And so that's really helped us feel comfortable. And, like you know, he's kind of guiding us the way and we're, we're handling, you know, the leasing up and working with the property manager and stuff like that, where it was really our strength and not necessarily his strength. Yeah. And that makes sense because as you pointed out, there's a lot more variables at work and development, a lot more degrees of freedom and, and decisions to be made. You know, value-add multifamily is really, it's a fairly well-trodden path that's pretty well-defined in terms of what you're going to do step-by-step. Step. It's all about execution. Whereas with development, it's a little more strategic. You've got to think about what's the highest and best use of this land? How will it interact with other properties around it? You've got to try to project forward in the future how that land will do from a financial returns basis when the land has been developed and built which can be multiple years in the future. So you're not getting any cash flow as you go in. It's vacant land, it's being built, so all the money's going out. You're spending a lot of money first on entitlements, but then on the physical building. And during that time, a lot can change. The economy can change, the local market can change, uh, new competition can come into the market. And so the risks you, you face are very different from value-add multifamily. In some cases, they can be much higher risk the returns you can get from development deals can be very strong if things go well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're buying a value add, it might cost you a lot more money to buy that versus a development deal. What kind of criteria are you looking for in projects on the development side? Well, so most of our work has been outside the city limits of Austin, in, in the Austin area, but outside of Austin. Austin is notoriously difficult to deal with. And so we've avoided a little bit of that, what, what you might call entitlement risk by staying outside the city limits. But we look for parcels of land that are first developable. There's a lot of things that can kind of hinder development on any particular piece of property. For example, the terrain, you know, if it's highly sloped or access to utilities, you know, if it's far from the nearest source of water or a sewer line or electricity, uh, that can present challenges. Zoning is not an issue when you're outside of the city limits, but you do want to make sure that the use that you're putting the land to makes sense, that it's consistent with the surrounding properties, and so so that you're not over or underdeveloping a particular piece of property. So those are the sort of the basics that we look for: is you know size and developability. After that, we drill down into things like comparable properties, 
if we're developing, say, a, a multifamily property, we'll certainly look at the other multifamily assets that are in the area and, you know, use those to get a sense of not just what we could expect financially, you know, in terms of rents, but also what kind of structures, what kind of property makes sense there. If it's surrounded, let's say, by C-class apartment buildings, it's not going to make sense to do a class A, you know, highly amenitized property. You know, the neighborhood won't support that. The kind of tenants we could attract, you know, might not be able to support, you know, the cost of that building and so forth. So those are some of the the basics that go into the decisions we make. Are you looking for a certain percentage of population growth, a lack of housing, some, you know, some of the other metrics to see if it's a viable project? Absolutely. And and that's one of the reasons we've so far stayed mostly in the Austin area is there's a lot of net in migration in Austin, you know, until very recently, some really solid job growth. We think Austin will bounce back. You know, we're, we're in a recession now and in an environment of rapidly rising and recently rising interest rates. And so that's created some some real headwinds for everybody, not just for development. But those are things we look for is job growth, population growth. Those are sort of the backdrop that by staying in the Austin market, those are some nice tailwinds that we get to take advantage of. Absolutely. I mean, that that market has been growing leaps and bounds. The, the rent growth up until recently has been phenomenal. And it'll kick in again, too. It's just, I mean, everywhere in the U.S. We saw it in Arizona where it just you know, kind of hit a wall that rent growth come the holiday 2022, but starting to pick up again. And yeah, it's it's all about solving problems and, and executing on your business plan and, and keep pushing forward every single day. Absolutely. Yep. What are some of the biggest obstacles you've been having to face in, in your projects of late? Oh, let's see. I'd say the two are deal sourcing and capital raising are the big challenges in the business. Finding pieces of property on the market that make sense, that are developable, that don't have limitations that would make it problematic. Now, like I said, the terrain, floodplain, access to utilities and so forth, but also, you know, the properties that, that underwrite well, that, that it makes sense to put that kind of investment into. And then capital raising, especially in recent months where a lot of capital has been sitting on the sidelines, kind of waiting to see what happens with these uh, with inflation, with interest rates, with the economy, there's less enthusiasm now among investors for projects. And in a way, that's a good thing. You know, I think a lot of projects might have gotten funded that maybe didn't make sense or had, you know, unfavorable risk return profiles. And so now we're seeing a little bit of a settling in the market, let the market and let financial returns catch up to the enthusiasm. So uh, it's not all bad, but it has created a challenge in, you know, finding ways to fund and uh, you know, raise the capital we need for these deals. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, I talked to a lot of operators. We're all kind of facing the same things, and you know, a little shakeout is is not bad. There was a lot of frothiness in the market, and this will help separate some of the less less aggressive operators from the real aggressive operators who are going to pay a price in the next uh, year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember a phrase from it might have been from 08. One of the Fed chairs talked about irrational exuberance. I think he said, if we can tamp that down a little bit, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, I asked this question pretty much of all my guests. What is your asset management superpower? I would say my superpower would be finding great partners and finding ways to, to where we can add value to one another. So I've got a lot of background in project management from my past W2 lives as well as in capital raising more recently. 
My partners have fantastic experience either in the value-add multifamily side or the development side, uh, managing assets, managing development projects, going through the entitlement process, dealing with you know cities, counties, utilities, fire departments, all the folks that we we need to make happy in a development cycle. And so that that combination, you know, we can make two plus two equal more than four by pairing up in a way that we can add value to one another. I love it. Yep. Real estate is a team sport and you certainly can't do it alone. And partnering up with other people, you can go very, very far. So that's a great superpower and great advice for someone starting out. Thank you for adding a ton of value on kind of like a, a balanced portfolio. You have some development and value add. Where can listeners find out more about you and your company? Uh, I've got a website. My company is Lakeline Properties. So my website is lakelineproperties.com, L-A-K-E-L-I-N-E properties.com. People can go there. They can see my portfolio, get a little sense of what I'm up to. There's a contact form there. They can also just email me directly, joel at lakelineproperties.com. Happy to connect with other folks in the space, whether it's uh, other operators, sponsors, uh, key partners, or uh, folks who want to invest passively. Always open to you know, yakking about real estate. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joel, for joining us. This is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.